to turn back with me uh, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, glory to God. And we've been dealing with the spirit of generosity and we've been talking about stewards over our bodies and how critically important it is for each one of us uh, to understand that God uh, saved us, he delivered us, he bought us with the price. So glorify a God in your body and your spirit which belongs to him. So 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 1. Before we, before we do that, go down and pop it up and look at it. I, I want to I share this, this article with you because we've been talking about our bodies and how it is that it's important for us as born-again believers to realize that God wants to use our bodies uh, for his glory. And we've been dealing with the, the issue of uh, sexual sin, and, and Paul dealt with it with the Corinthian church in that sixth chapter and that seventh chapter because, remember, the church at Corinth in particular uh, was a church that was birthed out of a society that said that it was okay to do these things. It was okay to have sex with temple prostitutes. It was okay for a man to have his wife and several concubines. It was okay uh, for sexual immorality to be something that you decide what you're going to do with, Right? So into that, into that context, Paul writes this letter to encourage the church at Corinth to do something about the known sin that's in the church. He writes the letter to tell the Corinthian church leaders, you must be intentional in dealing with this open sin that is pervasive in your church. He didn't write. And say like some of us are saying, well, you know, grown folk do what they want to do. That's their own business. Ain't none of my business. They do what they want to do. They do what they want to do. No, 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 no. He says, if you are part of the body of Christ, if you are living in a way that, uh, that you are, you, you're supposed to be honoring God uh, in, with your life as an ambassador, then, then we have a responsibility to help each other to live holy. We have a responsibility to help encourage each other to live in such a way that our lives individually and collectively, they honor God. Right. So Paul wrote that letter uh, in in particular, the Corinthian church to 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 encourage them, to exhort them. Hey, listen, there are certain things you got to deal with in the church. It may be uncomfortable. It may be it may seem like this. It's not uh, for uh, this day and age that we live in now because, hey, Pastor, you've you got to realize this is 2022 and the Bible was written right back then. Listen, there ain't nothing new under the sun. The stuff that we're dealing with today, they were dealing with it back then and even probably even more so. All right? So we as a body of believers have to understand that we have to challenge each other to live holy. Y'all with me? So now we, we, we dropped over to this first Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, but because this has not been dealt with, because we have, we have, we've sort of glossed over sexual sin in the church. I am not talking to born again believers this morning. I'm talking to those who've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to be their Lord and their Savior and a part of a local church congregation. We have to do better. I, I share with you some of the things that are happening across Christian culture. I ran across this article here, and this is what happens when we don't when we don't deal with stuff. We don't teach it, and we don't exhort people to, to live holy. If we don't call out sexual sin, uh, it, it, there's a Florida pastor and a martial arts instructor was charged with having sex with teenage girls. This this pastor and martial arts training facility owner has was arrested and charged with unlawful sexual activity with two teenage girls who attended his church. The guy, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to go into his name and thing, but this, this pastor uh, was arrested uh, and faced 10 counts of lewd and lascivious battery and 10 counts of unlawful sexual activity with certain minors. He also was, the, again, the owner and operator of a, of a, a, a kung fu uh, martial arts studio. And they said he had, on, the police said he had ongoing sexual relationship with the girls, including at the church, in his van, and in his office at the training facility. The girls came forward after both realized they were involved in inappropriate relationships with this, with this pastor. One girl said the pastor would drive her home and they would have sex in his van, and the other said he would drive her to empty lots to engage in sex acts. Now, I, I only mention that because I don't glorify uh, this kind of stuff. I only mention that because when we don't, as a, a, a church culture, learn how to, to take sexual sin seriously, it, it's pervasive. The enemy... The devil will not just stop at an inch. If you give him an inch, he'll do what? He will certainly take a mile. He'll take four or five miles. And, and so what he does is he tries to, to soften our mindset and our, our approach to sexual sin because he realizes that sexual, uh, I, I told you before, our sexuality is something that's God-given. God gave us with the desire for sexuality, for sex, Okay. And so God gave us those desires, but God put boundaries in place to try to protect us and, and help us be the vessels that he called and ordained for us to be. All right. Now, as I share this and I talk about this, I don't want anybody here to feel like, OK, I'm, you, you must know something about me. So you're picking on me, Pastor. No, I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. And I'm talking about the fact that because we have not been diligent and because we sort of just kind of you know, glossed it over because, you know, after all, Pastor, everybody does it. Come on, now get, 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 get real. We're in the 21st century. You got you to gotta know better. Let's, let me tell you something. God's word is still true. It's still relevant. And it still addresses our issues. Now, let's get to this fourth chapter, first Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. Watch this. Start at verse number one, because Paul writing here again to the saints at Thessalonica. He's writing to the church, guys. Remember that. You should have me out. He's writing to whom? He's writing to whom? Okay, he's writing to the church. Now, as he gets in here, he says this, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. Live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. If you're doing it right, do right some more. Okay, watch this. For you remember what we what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He says, God's will is for you all is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now, if God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. So what that tells me, if I'm engaged in sexual sin, then my holiness and my ability to be holy and my ability to be progressively more sanctified is at risk because I'm engaged in sexual immorality. God's will is for you to be holy. So. Stay away from all sexual sin. Let's keep going, guys. Watch this. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Text says, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Seven and eight, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. God has called us to live what kind of lives? So stop going around saying, I can't be holy. If God says he's called us to live holy lives, I told you on last week, he would be an unjust God, an unjust God, unjust God, how do you want to say it, if he required us to do something that we didn't have the capacity to do. 
First and foremost, we got to learn how to define what words mean because we come to the scripture text a lot of times with our own definitions of words. And because we come to the scripture text with our own erroneous definition of what holiness means, we say, can't nobody be holy. When God says, be ye holy as I am holy. So either we're right or God is right. The word holy literally means to be set apart for God's use and for God's purpose. Okay? So if I'm set apart for God's use and God's purpose, then there's a way that I must live in order to be effective if God is using me to advance his kingdom principles. Can I get a witness up in here today? So when it says to be holy, it means to live in such a way that your life indicates that you've been set apart for God to use to advance his kingdom agenda. Can I get one witness up in here today? So God is call- so God so God has called us to live how what kind of lives? Don't be scared to say it. Say holy lives. Everybody say holiness is still right. All right. So God has called us to live as holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, therefore, because He's called us, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching. You're not just disobeying what Doyle Adams said. He says he says he. Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, again, on last week, we said this. We said God's will is for his people to be sexually pure or holy. Right. Holiness means to be set apart under God who called us out of darkness into his light. Right. We said we, we, we tell you on last week that the Bible uses sanctification. Or sanctify in three, three senses. First, there's positional sanctification. I'm set apart positionally. Secondly, I'm progressively being sanctified. The longer I live, the, the, the more days I'm on this earth, I should see a progression in my life. There is some stuff that should be falling off of me. Some stuff in my life. When I first got saved, it should no longer be there. The longer I'm saved, the more I'm studying. And the question becomes, when people who know you well... Or ask about you when people who live with you, when people who are around you more than at church. Because listen, come on, guys, it's easy to look holy at church, right? How do you look holy anyhow? Have y'all ever met those deep, holy-looking folks? I mean, I don't know what. I mean, the only way I know what what look, look holy means is to be living right. There's no, ain't no certain look. You know, sometimes people come into church they look deep. You know, they look like they smell something that don't smell good. There's not a holy look, there's a holy lifestyle. But my question to you is, if I were to interview 10 people who know you well, if I were to go and on the record and say, tell me about Tony White, tell me about Constance Thomas, tell me about uh, Moreri, tell me about Margaret Kirk, tell me about Eva Mae Henry, tell me about Gary Johnson. What kind of person is he? What kind of person is she? If people who knew you well and knew that you were not going to find out what they said, because some people are scared <laughs> to be honest with you. You have people who you call your friends, but they're afraid to be honest with you because you're going to blow up and get mad and cut off the friendship. I would submit to you that's not a true friend. Friend love it at all times. Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
But the kisses of an enemy are what? Deceitful, the Bible says. So if I'm a true friend, there are going to be some times when I see something in you that's not God-honoring, I'm going to talk to you about it. It may hurt your feelings. It may wound you, but you'll be better for it. I'm that kind of pastor with you all, okay? In case you haven't figured it out by now. I'm that kind of pastor with the church here that God called me. That's the only way I know how to be is to be true with the word of God. So if I were to ask 10 people about you, what would they say about you? What kind of person would they say you actually are? Not how you look on Sunday morning. Because we all dressed up in here. We have our smiling faces on. We'll even lift up holy hands in the church. We'll sing with the choir, with the praise team. But my question to you is, how are you living? And what would people who are close to you tell me about you? Being honest. All right? Because the only way we're going to get better is we got to be honest. We got to be true to ourselves, right? All right. So, so, so there should be a progression in my life. There should be some things that maybe I used to do I don't do anymore. Since I got saved. I don't know, baby. I think Brother O mentioned it when he opened up. As we get into this sixth chapter of of the book of Hebrews that we're studying on Wednesdays. We are studying the book of Bibles, the book of the Bibles, the book of the Bible. Hebrews on Wednesdays. All right, we're going through it, meticulously going through it, asking ourselves deep, hard questions about ourselves because at the time that many of us ought to be teaching, we still have need of others to teach us about the elementary fundamental things of the faith. That's what the writer said to the Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution. That we should be growing to the point to where God can use us to help disciple somebody else. But right now, we still need to be taught ourselves in the fundamental things of the faith. All right, so there should be a progression. Third, there should be what? Perfect sanctification. And we won't see that until we see Jesus face to face, right? So holiness means abstaining from sexual immorality. And then we left off here on the C part. It says holiness is the, holiness in the sexual realm requires self-control. Are y'all there with me? Now, in verse 4 and 5, go back to uh, verse 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Let's go to the King James Version of Scripture on that, if you will. Are y'all still with me today? All right. I want to help us. I want us to, I want us to um, realize that God, God, God will call upon us to be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be struggling in this area. I am convinced and I know that, that many of you sitting here listening to me and listening via live stream, many, many have been hurt, have been maybe used or abused. Many have, many have uh, fallen into this sexual sin. Many have, have lives that have been, been, been probably turned upside down because some things happen in this particular sin area. And what I want to tell you is that, that God is able to heal you. I've seen God put marriages back together after adultery. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it to the point to where the marriage is stronger after it than it was before. I've seen him do it. So, so don't tell me what God can't do when you're willing to submit your will to his will. I've seen him do it time and time again. Watch this now. Watch this. Let's go to, back up to verse number three right quick. Verse three. It says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We, we just talked about sanctification being set apart for God's use and God's purpose. That you should abstain from fornication, sexual immorality. Watch this. Next verse. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. All right. Let's stop right there for a second. In this, in this, in verses four and five, Paul explained what he means by abstaining from sexual immorality. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, when Paul said this, when there's two schools of thought as to what Paul is actually talking about here. Let me just put these out here and then we'll we'll dial into what I think he's really saying here. There are two main views. here. First of all, some argue that when he says possess his vessel, that should be translated acquire his own vessel or where vessel refers to the wife. Some believe that because there are a lot of Bible scholars who hold that view. And the Greek verb uh, that is used elsewhere in the New Testament means to acquire, not to possess or to control. That same verb is used here. Now, that would line up with what Paul would have said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 9, where Paul teaches that if you lack, if you lack self-control, you should marry rather than burn with lust. So if I go there right quick, look up 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 9. Let's look at this right quick. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me today? Now, I pray that you listen attentively today. I'm not even expecting amens back at, toward me. I, I just, I want you to, 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 to dive in and hear this real, real carefully, okay? Because we can help each other and, 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 and we, can, we can help the body of Christ grow and be that vessel that God utilizes uh, to transform the world. But if they cannot contain, he says, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. Now, some people took that to mean it's better to marry than to, than to burn in hell. That means it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Y'all with me? Now, when, when Paul says that a Christian should possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, he means that rather than basing marriage primarily on sexual attraction, as, as we often see in Hollywood, you know, we see a movie, you see this beautiful girl and a beautiful guy, they catch each other's eye at the party or in the office, and all of a sudden, you know, they look at each other and they're like, oh, they make a beautiful couple. Why do we always say they make a beautiful couple when we're looking at the outside? Hey, I never said that. Oh, they make such a beautiful couple, and it could be hell going on in the house. I know, listen, they look pretty on the outside. Beautiful couple, two kids, a house in the suburb, and it's crazy up in there. Quit making determinations on the healthiness or the effectiveness of a relationship based on what people look like on the outside. And please, for God's sake, lady or gentleman, don't make a decision to marry somebody just solely based on physical appearance. I don't, I don't, I don't even want you to raise your hand, but I know some folks can say, Pastor, yeah, I know what you're talking about. She was pretty, but she was crazy. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Hollywood would tell us to, to marry based off of outward appearance. But let me tell you, it's, it's more to it than that. Hollywood, there should be, guys, there should be a. Uh, a, a, a holiness and, and a sanctity about the marital relationship and not just physical attraction. It, 
what, what Paul is trying to get us to understand is it, it should portray the exclusive love that exists between Christ and his church. Ephesians, the fourth cha- fifth chapter, verses 22 down through verse number 33. Let's go to verse, go, go, go to Ephesians 5 and 30 with me right quick. Say, help him, Pastor. Say, help him, Holy Ghost. I'm trying to get through this today. But you know what I sense? I sense that the church has gotten complacent in talking about sexual sin. I think the church has, has, has said, we, we, we'll abdicate, we'll, we'll yield our stance to the, what the culture says. But I, and, and, and we'll call righteousness sin and sin righteousness. That's what the, the devil is after. Uh, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I'm sorry. And let's look at this right quick. Uh, start at verse number, well, I got to start at 22, Ephesians 5 and 22. Come on, let's move. Trying to get there. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Everything that's God, everything that's not outside of God's will. Y'all with me today? Anybody have a problem with that? Let me back up. Anybody have a problem with that? I'm just reading. If you got a problem with it, take it up with God. (laughs) So your wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Submission means, again, I have have to repeat this because because culture has told us that that's a dirty term. Submit is a dirty term. And and, and submission is actually a beautiful term when properly understood and operated in. It It simply means yield to the authority of another who has care for you. Are y'all with me? All right, so, so sisters in the audience, sisters in the audience. Oh, sisters in the audience. Sisters in the audience, submission is not a dirty term. Are y'all with me? Okay. As, as the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husband. Well, maybe that's the problem because we don't see the church submitting to Christ by being obedient to his word. And so we look at, quote, the church, the local church, and we take our, our, our cue from that. No, no, no. Your wives should submit to your husband everything. Watch this. Now, listen to this. Here's, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of the submission because for husbands, watch this, guys. This means, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her agape love unconditional love quit telling me what your wife is doing I want to know what you're doing because agape love has thank God God's love is not predicated on how good we are Eric it's predicated on how good he is and when agape love is flowing in any relationship you don't talk about what the other person is doing you talk about what God has required of me so he says to us husbands, and guys, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes operating in agape love can be a little tough. But it's right. And if we're going to obey God, we got to learn how to operate it. I can't tell the number of times that I want, that I've told, I've, 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 told, I've, I've, told, I've told on Mararia. I told, I talked to God about Mararia. 
Am I on the husband now? But God, she said it this way. But God, she's acting this way. I went to the Lord. I told the Lord. I told, I told on you. But every time I go and talk to him, Richard, God comes back and says, okay, go, go to Ephesians 5. And I want you to think about how I love you when you mess up. I want you, I, you remember all those times when you had that sin in your life and you failed and I still didn't throw you away? Think about that. And I told you in my word, Doll Adams, to love her just like I love the church. And my, and my love is agape. It's not centered on how good she is. It's centered on how good I am. The great I am. The God who created the heavens and earth. The God who loves us in spite of us. That's the kind of love I want you to show toward her. Okay, God. For husband, this means love your wives. This is Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Watch this. To make her holy and clean. Watched by the cleansing of God's word. He says he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. Watch this. In the same, in the same, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way that God loved the church and gave himself for it. Husband ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. All right, watch this, watch this. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Watch this. And we are members of his body. Now watch this. As scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and has joined his wife and the two are united into one. Come on, let's go. This is a great mystery. Man leaving father and mother and cleaving his wife to become one flesh. That's a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The marital relationship is an illustration of how Christ and the church are one. What he's saying is our relationship, husband and wives, should be a tangible, visible demonstration of how Christ connects to his church. How many times have we failed to give that image to the world? Now watch this. Last verse, 33 says, so again, I say each man, again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Comes right back to it. So husbands, we're told to love wife. You're, you're, you're told to reverence and respect. Okay. Everybody, everybody clear on that? Now, I don't have time to unpack how, how respect and reverence looks like in a daily life. because I I, That's why we have marriage fellowship. We talk about that then. But, but you know if you really respect and, and, and reverence your husband. And husband, you know if you really, your wife can tell you if, if, if um, you're loving her like Christ loved the church. Just go, go ask her. You scared to ask her? Sister, before this audience right here in this live stream, do I love you like Christ loved the church the majority of the time? <laughs> Put that little caveat in there, still like the majority of the time. I'll tell you guys, there, there are some times, and Maria will tell you this, um, there are some times when. Um, 
I mean, something simple as um, go and get something for her. You know, just I can be sitting down watching the game. <laughs> Brother Danny. I, I, I know you feel me, Brother Danny. I, 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 don't, I don't even need an amen. I know you, I know, you married the constant. I know you feel me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself when she makes this request, I'm thinking, why didn't she make that request previously when we were getting the, when I was doing this before this, this game event started? It's almost as if she's testing me to see if I'm really loving her like Christ loved the church. But you know what I've learned to do? Everybody say, Doyle Adams learn. So he didn't always know. I've learned that when she makes a request of me and asking me to do something, then, then, then I, 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 I go on and do it because if, if I'm going to love her like Christ of the church, even though I want to do something else, I'll go and do it. Something simple as this. The other day, and I didn't tell you this, but um, she came out of the kitchen and, and she, she said, uh, how many of y'all wives, how many husbands, how many of y'all husbands, y'all wives ask you a question and you know the answer, to, you know the correct answer to the question when they ask you, they ask you a question like, uh, you want to wash the dishes? Did I say it? I want to wash the dishes? She just came out of the kitchen, but she asked me, did I want to ask? What? And in my heart, I was like, well, you were just in there. You could have washed them. But you know what I've learned? And this, this is the truth in our house. If she's going to cook. At the very minimum. I could wash the dishes. But something rose up on the inside. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm like well you can wash it. It wasn't but a fear in there. Why don't you just wash it? She, 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 she asked me that question. She got in the bed. But. What I've learned is if I'm a lover like Christ of the church, then that means that, that, that I'm going to extend beyond my little feelings and learn to honor her and appreciate her and reverence her. I'm just telling you about us, okay? Can I be honest with y'all? All right, so can we keep moving? All right, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he lo- loves himself, and wife must respect her husband. Now, so holiness in the sexual realm, as I said, re- requires self-control. So when Paul says... Some, some thinking he says possess his own vessel in the KJV in sanctification and honor. They say that he's talking about uh, his, um, his spouse. Are y'all with me? So and they said so. Uh, but again, marriage is, think about this, marriage, it should be held in high esteem. And, but I, I would tell you the second view is this. The second view is that vessel refers to a person's body and that possess has the meaning of controlling or gaining mastery or keeping your body rather than possessing your spouse. Are y'all following the difference? Um, So really, if you will, I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture because I want to make sure we get understand that everyone of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. I don't think this is talking about, you know, possessing your wife in sanctification and honor or or to to have have a, a, a spouse when it comes to this sexual uh, uh, sin that that tends to portray or tends to to, to creep into the church, if you will. Um, uh, let's let's go to uh, Romans the ninth chapter, right quick. Romans nine, verse number twenty one. Both of these views, guys, 
require self-control in the sexual realm. And Paul taught both views elsewhere. But God gave, God gave heterosexual marriage as the legitimate place for sexual relations. And whether single or married, both men and women need to control sexual lust beginning on the thought level. Okay? We got to guard our thought life. Watch what the text says. Hath, hath not the potter power over the clay or the same lump to make one vessel under honor and another unto dishonor? Next verse says this. Watch this. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? What if God, willing to show... What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endure with much long suffering, that's patience, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Next verse says what? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. One, one more, we, we, we'll stop right here. Even us whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What he's, what he's talking about here in this particular passage of scripture is that God has chosen us as vessels of honors, even those who are not natural-born Jews. As Paul is writing the book of Romans, he's marrying uh, uh, the, the, the transitional period between old and new, from coming out of Judaism to get it, operating in Christianity. And what he's saying is that God has chosen not only the Jews, but the Gentiles also to be vessels of honor. So let's possess our vessels in a way that honors God in everything that we do. Are y'all listening to me today? But we got to, let's get back to my point here, all right? So Paul, when he talks about this in, uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was exhorting not only the men to possess their wives in honor, but he was also talking to both men and women to control their bodies by restricting sexual activity to one's marital partner. And that's what he was dealing with here in 1 Corinthians because in 1 Corinthians there was stuff that was going on outside of the marriage bed. Is everybody still with me today? Now, all of us, if we're honest about it, have had impure sexual thoughts. Can I walk to this side over here? I told you God created us with desires, Right? So it is, it is a natural part of our human makeup to desire sexuality. But we must understand that God in his effort to keep us holy and God's effort to protect us has boundaries that he put up in how we operate in that arena. Is everybody clear on that? He does it for our good, not to punish us, but to help us to be who he called and ordained for us to be. So, so let me go to this next point. Sexual sin among God's people always causes damage. Everybody say always. always. See, we think that, um, and we're naive when we think that, we think that God, God knows our heart. And you can't, you know, uh, and, and that he knows, you know, what my desires are. And God gave me those desires. So he, you know, he understands me. We, God and I have an understanding. Let me tell you something. You cannot be close to him while you're entertaining sinful lust. All right. Second thing I want you to just make a note of. 
if you're looking at porn or looking lustfully at a woman or a man, that's just like tolerating. Uh, one, one writer put it, it's just like tolerating cracks in a dam. And th- those cracks are beneath the surface. Nobody can see them. But over a period of time, if those cracks are not dealt with, it's going to bust the dam wide open. Are y'all with me today? Okay. So, so sexual sin among God's people always causes damage. Sexual sin hurts God's name. Are y'all with me? God is holy and he is identified with his people. So when professing Christians engage in sexual immorality, it drags God's holy name through the mud in the eyes of the world that's watching us. When the world sees the church indulging and engaging and without any remorse or without any conviction, then it, it damages our testimony to that world that solely needs to see the example of a holy people living for their God. It's, you know, especially true when Christian leaders are caught up, okay? The world makes fun of us and they shrug off the claims of the gospel as a joke when we fall into sin like this. Now, again, nobody's perfect. I'm not saying anybody's perfect, but what I'm saying is, is that we cannot have a cavalier attitude toward this particular sin. And I think sometimes the reason why it's pervasive is because we have had a, a, a casual, cavalier attitude toward sexual sin because we said, after all, everybody does it. Um, sexual, he, sexual sin hurts the sinner himself. Not only does it hurt God's name, but it hurts the sinner himself. God's, God's, God's moral laws are sort of like, I heard one guy put it this way, it's sort of like traffic laws. You can disobey them for a while. And perhaps get where you want to get to faster by speeding and being reckless. But sooner or later, you're going to come around a curve too fast. You go around and hit a pole and you're going to suffer the consequences of your lack of obedience to the, to the speed laws. Right. Uh, God's laws are designed by God to protect us. Third thing, sexual sin does. It hurts others also because I, 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 I'm. I know I'm probably right and I'm saying this. There have been so many people who've said this, you know, well, I, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. So what did you think was going to happen when you did what you did? What did you think was going to happen when you violate that young child? What did you think was going to happen when you stepped out on your, on your husband or your wife? What did you think was going to happen? They were going to just be, oh, great. That's, oh, you did that. Hallelujah. No, it's going to hurt somebody. The internet wants you to think that what, what you did was private. It was alone. I'm just watching the internet pornography pastor. I'd rather do that than go out and commit sin. But let me tell you something. When you do that, what you're doing now is telling your spouse, husband, that, 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 that her, the sexuality is, is, is something that's, that's non-holy and that you can do this thing and be okay and go and watch all this stuff. And it not affect your marriage. It is affecting how you view your spouse. Why am I saying that? 70% of Christian men admitted that they view, view pornography. It's so easily accessible now. My question to you is, when you're on your PC or your phone, are you willing to let your search history be available to your spouse? Husbands and or wives. I know I got real quiet in here now. The same thing happens when I say, husband, 
Why don't your wife have your password to your phone? And why can't she pick your phone up at any time and look at it? I'm a man. I don't need nobody watching me. Two become one flesh. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to say it again. If you're unwilling to do that, there is something that you are hiding. Some of y'all will go home and argue <laughs> after this message because there is something somebody's hiding. Mary, you can look at this phone all day long. And she does have my password. I felt the cool come over this place. I, now listen, I'm trying to help some of y'all because some of y'all are not honest with each other. And that's why you, you, you're sitting here and, and, and you don't want me to bust your bubble. But I'm here to bust your bubble because God called me to pastor you. And I want to get some stuff straight in your life, in all of our lives. And I'm here to tell you, when you are, when you are doing that, either it's pride. Or you're covering something. Okay. If the Lord don't help me. Sexual sin hurts many others. See, sometimes we think that if it's two consenting adults, well, what's the problem, Pastor? What's, what's, your, what's your big deal? I'm just telling you what the word of God says. You know, um, let me give you, uh, in, in my limited time that's left, can I, can I talk to you about two guys who handled it differently? Is that, is that okay? Let's go first. First of all, let's go to uh, Genesis 39, 39th chapter. Let's look at Joseph. Look at two guys. Now, again, as I say this, God, God, men are not the only one committing sexual sin. I don't, I don't, y'all, my pacing of the sermon today is, is, I don't know why it's kind of slow today, but uh, my pacing is slow because I, I, I want you to think. Men are not the only one engaging in In sexual sin, who's making love to your old lady while you are out? <laughs> Y'all that are under 40, you, go, go, go look it up. That song has a message. While you're out doing what you're doing, and she's stealth. You, 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 you okay. Genesis 39. Can we go to the right quick? Watch this. Start at verse number. Uh, verse number uh, let's start in verse number one. I got to. I got to move through this. Okay. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Israelite traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Text says this, uh, the Lord was with Joseph. 
So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. His own brother sold him into slavery, guys. Family members did him dirt. I've been watching this, though, but the Lord was with him. I love this, man. Joseph, man, I love to read Joseph's story because I hear, I hear and I see uh, the, the integrity this man had in a foreign land, away from his people, when it, it would have been easy for him to indulge and nobody know. But watch this, the Lord was with him. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Text says, this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Here we go. What kind of young man was he? Handsome and he was what? Well-built. Okay. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him. How? How does she look at him? How does she look at him? Lustfully, come and sleep with me. She demanded. Now think about this for a second. She demanded. Because here he's, he's in indentured servitude and she felt like she could demand that he have sex with her. Potiphar's wife I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that men aren't the only one engaged in sexual immorality. Here's Potiphar's wife. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now watch this brother's response. Man, I respect Joseph. Like, 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 man, watch, man. I just, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, now understand, back up, let me understand this. Being married to a Roman officer meant that this woman was probably a good looking woman. Because when you were you high up in, in a government official, you, you got the pick of the litter. You didn't just pick somebody who just looked like something. I mean, she, she had to be a beautiful woman. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Because you're his wife. Now, how could I do such a wicked thing? Watch what Joseph said. It would be a great sin against Potiphar. No, he didn't say that. He said it would be a great sin against whom? God. Now watch this. Keep going. Let's go. She kept putting pressure on Joseph. Day after day. I want to know how many brothers in here who's getting put pressure put on them by a beautiful woman to have sex with them. How many of you brothers in here, when you're alone, nobody in the house will keep saying no. Don't you, don't you dare raise your hand. I'm going to get back. Get her. But this is what I like about Joseph. The, the Lord was with Joseph and he continued to, to operate in integrity when no one was looking. It's easy to be a man of integrity when somebody's watching you. But what happens when you are alone? She kept putting pressure on Joseph that day, but he refused to sleep with her. And look at what he does, y'all. And he kept out of her way. As much as possible. See, listen, don't play with sexual sin. You know, and you understand sometimes when there, when there is there's an attraction there. And, you, 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 and, and so sometimes you, you got to just move aside. Move on out, out the way of that stuff. 
Okay, y'all with me? Uh, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He's using wisdom here. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. The text says that she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, brother, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Text says this, watch this. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into, into my room to rape me, but I screamed. There we go. And y'all, I'm going to stop right here because he was thrown in jail because of the lie that she told. Now go with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. Verse number one, 2 Samuel 11. I, I, I honor, I, man, I respect Joseph to the highest because he could have and probably no one would have known, but he chose not to. What he did was he avoided. There are times, guys, listen, when your flesh is not agreeing with your spirit, your spirit may be saying, I know it's not right. Don't do that. But your flesh, may be, your flesh will be telling you, well, you're just one time. See what it's like. I'm talking, about, I'm talking to Christians now. I am talking to the church just like Paul was talking to the church. Because we don't, we don't, it, most of y'all who grew up in church never heard it put the way I'm putting it today. And, 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 and people just kind of glossed over it. But, but the reality is that we are sexual beings, we have sexual desires, and we have to learn how to operate in self-control. Quit pretending like it doesn't happen, and let's talk about the strategy to keep it from falling. Okay, is that fair enough? I'm not, listen, if I know that you struggle, or if I know that you have a, a temptation in the air, temptation is not sin, it's the yielding. So we can help each other, let's help each other. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rahab. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. When kings should be going to war, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. She wasn't no everyday run-of-the-mill sister. She was, had unusual beauty. That's what the text says. Next verse says what? He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now watch this. Again, he saw, but he inquired. He's on the rooftop, walking around, and looks over and sees a woman bathing over yonder. All right, now, there's the first look. Now what should have happened, Ray, was he should have turned away and went back inside. But what he did was he looked and then he inquired. Y'all still with him? He said someone to find out who she was and, and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Next verse as well. Then David sent messengers to get her. He sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites. After having, been, after having her menstrual period, then she returned home. Text says this, watch this. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, 
she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. The pregnancy is not, the fact that a baby exists is not the sin. The sin was the fornication, the adultery. Okay. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. Now here, here David is getting ready to try to cover his sin, y'all. All right. You know how people lay down lies to cover the, the, the lie that they told you last week? He's, he's now covering his sin. If, when you cover your sins, you won't prosper. He says, when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Watch this. Then he told Uriah, go, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance entrance with the king's palace guard. Watch this now. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? He's been away from so long from his wife on the battlefield. He come, David summons him from the battlefield thinking that he's going to be like the average dude. I've been gone away for war and now I get to come back and see my wife. What's the first thing that's going to happen? I'm going to go in and have sexual relations with her. That's why we had the baby boom generation after World War II. World War II, babies began to boom because guys came back from war, haven't been in the war for so long, they came back and they began to engage. Yeah, thank you. Why did you go home last night after being away for so long? Come on, let's go, guys. Next verse, Uriah applied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Watch this. This man is a man of honor. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Now, here this guy is. David is trying to get him intoxicated, hoping that he'll now go home and sleep with his wife to cover his sin. Let me tell y'all something. If you hide it, God can't heal it. But if you uncover it, God will heal your your, your stuff. So many times we're fearful about, about, about saying, okay, I messed up. I was wrong. And, and, and the healing comes from that. But, but, but as human beings, we, we, we want to cover it and we want to keep it. It's our nature to hide it. I'm not going to go to the rest of this, but the, the long and short of this was David's sin tried to cover his sin, ultimately arranging the death of this guy to cover his sin. But the thing that happened is, is that his sin didn't go unpunished. There are consequences to sexual sin. And David, David had turmoil in his family as a result of him doing this dastardly deed. Lost his son, had war in between his children, all because he didn't use wisdom and, and, and turn away and honor God in the way he, he did a certain thing. Now, again, David was a man of God's own heart. Make no mistake about it. God, God, David loved God. He repented in Psalm 51. Go and read it. He repented of his sin. He turned away from it. But guys, there's still consequences. Sometimes we, we don't realize that you can repent of the sin, but there's consequences to your sin. 
if, if, if there's adultery in a relationship, yes, you can repent, but don't expect the emotional healing to be processed overnight because you said, I'm sorry, I've, I, forgive me, I'm turning away from him. There is emotional scarring that's got to be dealt with, and you've got to talk about it in order to deal with it. You keep thinking about yourself. Well, I, I, yeah, I messed up. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Just, just if, if you're going to forgive me, forgive me. Let's not talk about it. No, I forgive you, but we got to talk. We got to process. We got to make sure that, 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 that the wound is, is being healed. And, 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 and quit telling me you ought to be over this by now. I hope I'm helping somebody. Watch this, watch this. So, sexual sin among God's people always causes damage. It hurts God's name. It hurts the sinner himself. And it hurts so many others. Third thing, God will bring judgment on those who are sexually immature. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter, verse number 6 right quick. Thank you, Jesus. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. Let me me say this right quick. Um, I don't care who you are and what you've been through in your life. Here's what I do know. God forgives. And your sin doesn't disqualify you from being used in God's kingdom. Otherwise, Moses never would have been been used by God. Moses murdered a guy. But God still used him. David committed this dastardly deed and there were consequences to it, but God still used him. You've done some things. I've done some things. It may not be this thing, but we've done some things that are outside of God's will and God forgave us and he still uses us. So for the person who's sitting there and said, you know, Pastor, man, you, you, you said this and I, I feel bad and, and, and I'm just, I'm, it's hopeless and God, God, yes, God, when you repent, God still can utilize you. Wow. But learn how to be honest with yourself and with God and be honest with the person who you hurt. When you're not honest about it, when you don't come clean about it, Healing can't properly take place. And that's why you're still dealing with that thing 12 years later, 15 years later. And you keep wondering, why am I dealing with it 15 years later? Because you never dealt with it properly. You didn't heal. And you wasn't man enough to say, I'm wrong. I messed up. I know I'm hearing your heart. I'm, I'm hearing your disappointment. And, 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 and I, I, I can't tell you, stop talking about it. Because until you talk through it and counsel through it, then that thing is still there. Amen? God brings judgment, as he did with David's life, and as he will do in our lives, because he's trying to get us to a point to where we appear. Sometimes we won't move until we go through something. Sometimes we'll hold on to our sin until the sin is exposed. God, God, God will all, my experience has been God will always give you warnings before he allows what you into, what you into to be exposed. He'll warn you. He's giving some of y'all warning right now because I'm preaching this right now and some of y'all are in sexual sin and God is saying it's time to get out. Yeah. 
Because when we don't, when we don't, when we, when we uh, even as married couples, come on, we, we're talking about marriage, even as married couples, when we are selfish in our sex life, when we are, uh, 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 you know, are not um, uh, following God's guidelines as it relates to, uh, you know, husband and wife being available to each other and learning how to, to, to not let that be some kind of drudgery or some type of, you know, oh, I just got to do this. When you learn how to uh, operate and learn how to, to, to understand sexuality from God's viewpoint, sex in a marriage should be a beautiful thing. I said it should be a beautiful thing and not something that you grudge. Oh, foot. Again? Some of y'all laughing because y'all, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. What I'm telling you is, is that when we learn how to be honest about sexuality, when we learn how to, to let God's word guide us and protect us, and we have the proper viewpoint, when we learn how to honor each other and honor each other's bodies and learn not to defraud one another. I, don't, I didn't have time to go there. First Corinthians, the seventh chapter deals with it. All right. When we learn how to do it the right way, it could be a beautiful thing. Correct. I need some husband and wife to say, correct. Correct, Marie. Thank you. Correct. Correct. I said, correct. So I, as your pastor, I want to help us get there. And I want to help those also who are struggling with various things to understand how to, to maintain your holiness. And maintain uh, your 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 self worth as a believer, and be able to be a, a vessel that God can use, and don't succumb to the cultural mindset that says, "Well, you know, it's no big deal." I'll talk a little bit more about that next week, okay? And I, I promise you, we're gonna get through with this. All right? Can y'all give me one more week? Because I, I didn't even go to Romans the first chapter. If y'all give me one more week. We'll wrap this up. But I'm serious about this, guys. Listen, God loves every last one of us. And he doesn't want us to fall in this area. He wants us to be his vessels that he can use to advance kingdom agenda. Amen. Let's honor God in our bodies. What we do with it. Not not just sexually, but what we say with our tongue. The, The things that we do and how we treat people. How we love people. Love them with the love of the Lord, okay? Jesus gave his life out on Calvary so you and I could have the privilege to be in the personal relationship with the God who created the heavens and earth. He loves us and desires to have an intimate relationship with every last one of us. Nobody here has done anything so bad that God don't want to have a relationship with you. He wants you in his presence. He forgives. Aren't you glad about that? He loves us enough. He keeps calling us back to himself. Even when we mess up and we start running the other way, God says, no, I want you in my presence. For, ask for forgiveness. I will cleanse you and I will, my blood will clean you from all unrighteousness, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you in my presence. Now, as every head bowed in our clothes, listen to me carefully. 